We uh, live in a day when uh, having access to things is so simple compared to what it was even just a few years ago. Even being able to log on and to order something and to have it at your door, sometimes within a day or two, uh, sometimes even within a few hours. Uh, a lot of delivery companies provide services like that. One of them is is FedEx, and if you've ever worked in a business for any amount of time, you've probably received deliveries from FedEx or even at home. One of the things I love to order now online is a dog food. <laughs> uh, we got our dog a couple of years ago, and I'm glad to not have to lug big, heavy bags of dog food around um, like I have once done in my life. One of the companies is FedEx. Are you familiar with FedEx? Yeah. Have you seen their logo, FedEx? You've seen trucks around? How many have seen this logo? How many of you have seen FedEx around? Looks like most of us. Um, this is a very common logo. It's very familiar to us. What, what is not as familiar to some, perhaps, is that if you look right in the middle between the E and the X, what do you see? An arrow. How many of you knew that there was an arrow in the FedEx logo? A lot fewer of us. I see about ten hands. And what's interesting, once once somebody points it out, because they pointed it out to me, and once, once they point it out to you, something that's been there all along, and suddenly now you have vision to see it. Now probably, every time you see a FedEx truck going by, you're always now going to see that arrow. And it might drive you crazy, like a little splinter in your brain even. But something that's been there all the time, now that it's been pointed out and made clear to you, you have, in a sense, some new vision, and you're seeing things a little differently. You have new sight. And that's really what I want to talk about today, is new sight. And the sight that Jesus gives us, the gift of His presence, the gift of His touch in our life to give us new spiritual insight. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, would you open them there to Mark, chapter 8. God is providing sight uh, in many ways to see what's always been there, but not always recognized by us in who Jesus is. Mark, chapter 8. We're going to... Look at just a few verses about a particular healing. Uh, Jesus heals a man who was blind. And then we're going to be looking at, at, at some of the verses around this passage to understand better of what we are to take from this today. In verse 22, Mark chapter 8, the Bible says, They came, they, Jesus and his disciples, they came to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a, a town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, fishing village. They come to this particular town and some people brought to them a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, "I, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Father, we pray this morning that you would be present among us in a knowing way, a known way to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher and our guide, that these words are not mere words on a page, but they are living and active as your words into our lives, into our hearts. And uh, as we read your scripture, may we not be the same. Come and do your work in us. 
as we would faithfully follow you now. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. There's a new site for this man who was blind. Um, there's a, it's really kind of a unique uh, healing miracle. Because usually when Jesus does a miracle to somebody, it's, it's done. It's uh, one step and, and it's complete. Sometimes it's simply a word. Someone says, come and heal my child or heal this special person to me. And Jesus says, go, You're, this person is healed. And without even being present, the healing can happen. And there are other times when Jesus would touch the person and, and they would be healed. Other times people would touch Jesus or even the, the hem of his cloak and they would find healing power through just that encounter. But here we have a, a two-part miracle, if you want to think of it that way, a two-part healing when Jesus comes into the man's life. There's a shift that happens in his vision. He is able to see, see things moving, people. He recognizes somehow that they're people, they're moving, looking like trees. There's not great clarity of sight, but a shift has happened. And then a second touch from Jesus, and he has clear Full healing. Many Bible scholars have looked at this passage because it's an unusual passage to have a a two-part healing like this. And many have described it as being symbolic of our spiritual journey with Jesus. That that there's a progression in our our knowledge and understanding and and our ability to grow in what it is spiritually to know Jesus and, and to trust Him with our life and to follow Him completely. And how many of you when you first started in your journey with Jesus, knew everything you needed to know about spiritual living. Good, that was a test, that was a trick. I shouldn't see any hands, uh, because if you knew everything, I need to be learning from you. But we know what it is, right, to start a journey and, and to, to feel compelled by God's Spirit to give our lives into the hands of Jesus, knowing that we don't know all the implications of what that's going to be. We don't know where exactly uh, all the twists and turns of the journey are going to go, but we do know the end destination, don't we? And so we're able to trust and we are able to follow as God leads us. Um, many scholars see this this picture of this two-part healing similarly as a symbolic uh, understanding and expression of our spiritual journey with Jesus. Because as we begin to interact with Jesus in our lives, there's a shift that happens in the way that we view the world. In the way that we view life, in the way that we begin to organize priorities in our life, a shift happens. Something is different. It changes. What is important to us becomes now different because we begin to incorporate the things that are important to God into our lives. They become the things that are important to us over time. We have new attitudes. We begin to demonstrate new actions because we have new sight. But as we continue to move forward in our life with Jesus, we gain greater clarity and insight into the depth of His love, into the intensity of His mission, to know why Jesus would come into the world in the first place, why He would come and call you by name and invite you personally into a relationship with Him of love and depth. We might experience a deeper healing, growth, and wonder about the gospel. The psalmist writes in Psalm 16, 8, that I have set the Lord always before me. I, I place Him in the center of my vision 
and around him I will build my life, is what the psalmist is saying. You see, as we kind of back out of this passage and look at some of the verses around it, it helps us understand a little bit more of what Jesus is aiming at here. Because in the verses just leading up to to this healing of the blind man, Jesus has asked his disciples a question. They've gotten into a boat and uh, they've been talking about they've only got one one loaf of bread. And Jesus asks them kind of a strange question. He says, or sort of, Gives him a warning. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And, and if you've been reading the Gospel of Mark, you have a good sense of what Jesus is talking about there. That, that there are some corrupting influences that, that undermine a, a good sense of, of what it is to walk with Jesus when Pharisaical thought gets into our thinking. Because we're focused more on human endeavors than we are on expecting and reaching out for the presence of God in our life. And we're looking at life, and a Pharisee looks at life from a merely human perspective, and Jesus wants a higher point of view, a higher vision of the way that we would look at life, and it is to be different. And so Jesus asks them this question in verse 18. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? So that's our first clue is into what this two-part healing of the blind man is. Because Jesus is pointing at his disciples and he's saying, guys, you have, you have physical sight, but your spiritual insight is lacking. And there's still so much that you need to grow in, in your understanding of what's happening. And then the healing of the blind man, this two-part healing of this restoration of sight. There's the first touch brings a shift. It brings a shift and a change in his sight. But then the second touch comes and brings complete healing. Uh, But the verses right after that, we find um, where Peter is uh, an example of their increased understanding, of their vision getting clearer about who Jesus is. It says in verse 27 that Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. This would have been about 20 or so miles north of Bethsaida. They go on up to Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, Jesus asked them this question. Who do people say that I am? His disciples replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah, and still others that you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? What about you? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. So we have to take these verses in succession. Jesus has asked them in the boat, Do you have physical eyes yet no spiritual insight? And then he heals the blind man. And now sometime later he's talking to Peter and the disciples. And Peter has demonstrates this deepening understanding of who Jesus is. That his response is you are the Christ. You are the the special one promised of God to come into the world. What a great response. And yet we find just in the verses right after this. That it's, it's a limited response. His sight is still limited because there's more growing yet to do. How many of you still have more growing to do in your walk and understanding of Jesus? Yeah, good. You passed the test. Well done. We do, don't we? We all, we've never arrived, but we're, we're, we're reaching toward the goal and the prize. That is what we are called to do. We are aspiring To see Jesus and his life formed in us. And so here, in these very next verses, even though Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, is he kind of betrays his lack still of understanding. 
In verse 31, the Bible says, Jesus then began to teach them. The first time in Mark's Gospel, Jesus begins to teach them this, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. For the first time in Mark's Gospel, he's, Jesus is beginning to introduce the fullness of his mission to them. That he did, he came into the earth to, to do more than just to teach or to be a demonstration of how life is supposed to be lived. And that certainly is what he's done and who he is. But he says, my ultimate goal, my ultimate purpose is to end up on the cross. To be a substitute for your sin. So that in me, the thing that, that, that creates the barrier between your ability to know God is taken away. If you would confess your sin into my hands, lay it down at the foot of the cross, and let me have it, let me absorb it for you so that I can then give to you the life that you so desperately want, the life that God wants for you. That's the gospel. And so Jesus says that this is my reason for coming. He would say in other places, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. In verse 32, Jesus has spoken plainly about this. And Peter, Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And I, I, I love Peter because he's so serious and sincere, but he's so off target here. <laughs> right? Peter's the one. He was the one to get out of the boat to follow Jesus walking on the water, right? The only one to do it. Peter, he just, he acts. And, and there's something in, in Peter that inspires me often. But he often can put his foot in his mouth, too. Do you know what I'm saying? And so here Peter, he, he's, he's discovering this new insight. Wow, Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He's actually this promised Messiah from God. He's just professed that to Jesus himself. And then Jesus steps forward and says, I'm going to start telling you now, my whole purpose is to end up dying on your behalf so that your sin can be dealt with. And Peter said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> no, that's not what I have in mind for you, Jesus. Right? I have some other image in my mind for what the Messiah is to be and to do, and this is not it. Isn't it ridiculous? That Peter would try to rebuke Jesus. It's kind of like if I were to come up to my brother Steve, our music minister here, and I were to say, Steve, you know, the last song that we sang today, I'd like to go back to bar 33. And, and you know, I, I'm not sure your finger positionings on the keys were exactly the right space. And I think you missed some dynamics. Let me teach you, Steve, expert in piano, piano playing and, and music. And let me show you. If you knew how little piano I actually knew and music I actually know, then you, you would be laughing out loud right now at the preposterousness of me going to Steve and suggesting such a thing. Now, I do know how to play the piano. Well, I know how to play one song on the piano. Okay, I know a portion of one song on the piano. And that's about it. Um, I, I learned it when I was in college because I thought if I could take this love song and, and learn a few bars, I could sit and play it in the dorm lobby and when some of the young ladies walk by, they might be impressed. And they might say, oh, play some more. And of course, I'd play it all that I do. And I'd say, no, I, I, no, I just kind of push away. 
you know, I was just kind of fishing and hoping and, and wondering. But, you know, I've never played it since I met Susan. I've never played it for another lady. She's my one and only. But that's all the piano I know. And so for me to go to Steve and to try to correct Steve on, on how we've done a song is just is really preposterous. And the, the thought, it's really such a funny image to think of Peter hearing Jesus teach about his purpose for coming into the world. And for him to say and to come and rebuke Jesus is so hilarious. Because Jesus goes on in verse 33. He says that he turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You're not living... In an awareness and an acceptance of God's will, Peter, I'm telling you why I have come. I'm telling you reality as it is. And this is something you have to do work in to accept and to live your life in. And so what is the remedy for a lack of spiritual sight? It's going back to Psalm 16. And learning like the psalmist to always place the Lord before our vision. To let Him be the centerpiece of our life every day. And to learn to adjust our lives so that we can focus ourselves, our hearts, our minds. Give every day over into the hands of the loving Jesus so that we can walk through every day viewing our day. Viewing our relationships Viewing the painful encounter, viewing the frustrating moment through the eyes of faith and allowing God's presence to work its way through us. It's about allowing Jesus to touch us every day and to give us his sight. It's about organizing our life with no other priority above and ahead of this. Jesus goes on in verse 34. He calls the crowd and his disciples to him. And this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul. Now, from this point forward, Peter does not have perfect sight. He does not have perfect spiritual sight. There would still be moments of growth in his life ahead, just like you and I have. He would be the one, when Jesus is arrested, right before he's taken to the cross, he would be the one following at a safe distance, so he thought, and people began to recognize him as one of Jesus' closest Followers, And three different times Peter would deny even knowing Jesus. Poor Peter, what a miserable failure. Just like you and I can feel sometimes, right? Well, we don't always live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards in our life. But was God done with Peter? Absolutely not. Because it's Peter in the first chapter of the book of Acts. After the resurrection of Jesus and that moment of Pentecost when God's Spirit falls on the people. And it's Peter who stands up 
and gives voice to the life and the person of Jesus, his death on the cross, and gives a witness to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. It's Peter who stands, and it's through Peter that God is so pleased to to work with him to continue to increase his understanding and his vision of who Jesus is and what God's will is for him and through the church. And that, my friends, is what we are intended to be and to become are people who look at life with the eyes that Jesus gives us to engage our lives, our whole life, in the will of God, knowing that that is the way the world is healed, that God is known, that He has come into the world to live a life, to be a demonstration of how life is intended to be lived, to die on a cross, So that your sin, the thing that keeps you apart from God, can be dealt with in the cross. And when you confess that sin to God, Jesus will absorb it in Himself and give you the promise of new life, the fullness of life, right here today. This is the gospel. This is the joy of walking with Jesus in every part of your life. And the invitation that we focus on as we gather around the Lord's Supper today, we are reminded of the death of Jesus. We're reminded that in the Lord's Supper, we too take up our crosses every day and we follow Jesus into that day, seeing the world as He sees it, being guided by Him. If you're a deacon helping serve the Lord's Supper, would you come and sit here in the front pews? We come this morning around this table at the invitation of Jesus. Because of his great love for us. As we do this this morning, we're going to be weaving verses of a song together, and we're going to sing the first of those.